0: I'm going to read for us the passage on which today's sermon has been prepared. It's two different passages. It's Galatians 3 as well as Acts 15. And I'll try to do my best to relate how they mash up together. Galatians 3, starting in verse 23, says this, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there a male or female. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they were told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they had reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, "The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses." The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, "Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips, or from my lips, the message of the gospel and believe." God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have been saved, just as they are. This is the word of God. This little action in Galatians, when it says, before the coming of faith, we were held in custody, and then it goes on to say, so Jesus, in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God, for you were baptized, Close yourself, and then it goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We have no concept of the power that is in these words right here. We have no understanding. When it says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, all are in faith, all are brought to faith, all are accepted by Christ, all are adopted by Christ. We don't have a good understanding of the weight of what this means. Uh, So I'm going to try to give you a couple of different examples of what it means. I'm going to start off with something very silly and very stupid. Uh, In seminary, you have to go through Greek and Hebrew, Uh, although there are programs that will tell you everything you need to know about Greek and Hebrew. They're, They're fantastic programs. They're incredible programs. There, there are databases that have lexicons and, and can go down to the root of what a word is and how the language and how the context, they're incredible things. And yet in seminary, you are forced to be able to read on site Hebrew and Greek. Don't ask me to do so now. It's been a decade and I have lost all of it. If, I, if somebody is reading, I'm like, oh, okay, I can, I can pick that up a little bit. But if you were to ask people why you have to do that, as opposed to use the tutorial, I swear seminary professors would say this. Because I had to do it. I swear they would say, you're doing it because I had to do it. And if I had to do it, you have to do it. Or think of this. Think of uh, in-laws. Think of family traditions. Think of when you were dating your spouse and you got invited to go up to the family's cabin. And everybody is running around doing normal activity of the cabin. And you are, you are looking around going, I have no idea what's happening right now. This is, this is a bizarre context. They, they have nicknames for each other. They know where all the, I'm asking, where are the forks? Where are the dishes? Where are the cups? Where are things? And they, they just know instinctually where it is. And this is cute at first. You're like, oh, yeah, you're new. Ha, ha, ha. About the fifth question in, families start rolling their eyes, being like, oh, my gosh. It'd be so much easier if you just knew where things were. It'd be so much easier if you just gelled in very easily. It'd be so much easier if you had years upon years upon years of history with us to understand things, to know things. Or lastly, how about this? Uh, how about somebody has made a vast empire from themselves and they have wealth beyond wealth beyond wealth and their first husband died, let's say, and they married somebody else. And they have children who are grown up and this new husband comes in, and the wife makes a will, and the wife bequeaths all her wealth to the husband of six months, who do not raise the children, who do not know their traditions, who does not have any historical advantage whatsoever to their life, and yet he is given all the money. You've, you've seen this on TV shows and movies. How does that conversation end between the children and the new father? Not well. See, when we read there is neither Jew nor Gentile, we misunderstanding, or we misunderstand what that means. And probably the weight doesn't hit us as much. You know why it doesn't hit us as much? Because we're the Gentile. We're the one who has the program, who didn't have to spend hours upon hours memorizing thousands of Hebrew words. We're the family member who comes into the family and have been given everything and get the pass for five days to just ask any question. And You don't have to know things. You don't have to cook. You can just sit there and be welcomed in we're the Gentile who get blessed with all of this and have no understanding of the history behind it, and we don't understand why other people get mad at certain things. Uh, I was told by somebody I have a year until my, my California, my West Coast understanding is up and then I can't talk about it anymore, and I'm like right at that mark. So this is my last time talking about that, hopefully. But when I come in here to Arise and I start, I start poking around, I start understanding the culture, I start understanding foods, I start understanding words, I start understanding where things are. I could tell where, where sacred things are very quickly. I just touch them. <gasps> Don't touch that. Don't move that. And I go, why? And they go, oh, let me tell you a story. And it's like sitting on grandpappy's knee out on the front porch rocking, and you hear a story, you hear tradition, and there's weight, there's emotional weight, there's relational weight behind it. Galatians is so incredible. This book is so insane because it says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Those of you who for thousands of years have been put under the yoke of the law. Those who have not been circumcised, who do do not know what blood sacrifices are, who haven't had to make a trip to to do any sort of holy visit, who have no idea what the tabernacle booths are, who have no idea what the term hanyaker means. And I look at you dumbfounded. And Paul shows up on the scene and says, they're in just like you. <sighs> See, I think Galatians is so incredible. We don't understand this because we are the ones who have been said, you're in just like them. And we go, great, of course. Of course Jesus accepts me. Of course God loves me. Of course I'm accepted. And those who have been in religion, those who, ha- those who went through Sunday school, who had to sign their, their names on rolls, who had to who had to say what they pledged every single year to giving, and then turn that into the pastor? And somebody else comes in, and they start enjoying, and they start singing, and they start listening to the sermons, and they say, "I'm saved, just like you." And you kind of want to go, mm, "Not just like me. You didn't. You didn't have to grow up in in Christian education. You didn't have to grow up praying five times a day. You didn't grow up having to memorize scripture. See, we." we have an understanding of when Paul says there neither Jew nor Gentile, we have an understanding of how crazy it is. We just don't think about it that often because we're the ones blessed with how crazy it is. But let me tell you, this is a bombshell within the gospel. And the bombshell is this. You thought keeping the law was something that gained you inheritance and adoption from Christ. You thought obeying the law was something. He looked at you and said, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. I love you. You are so treasured to me. And what, what Paul says here is, it's never been the case, but you thought it was. You guys ever have those professors in college that you would study the material the whole time, and then you got on the final? I had this in one class, and I was so fuming mad. One class did this. One professor did this. We studied the entire time. We spent hours upon hours, study groups after study groups, and I could tell you the material like the back of my head, and you get there on the day of the final, and she set out the piece of paper, and it just had her name on it, and on the back of it was blank, and it said, Happy finals. And I thought, what? You you mean this whole entire time I've been studying and I haven't had to do anything for it? I wish you would have told me this beforehand. See, when we look at the gospel, we can get it very confused because the final says this. Christ has died for you and all of your sins are forgiven. There's nothing you have to do. And so then we say, well, sweet, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to know anything. That's wrong. But how is it wrong? Galatians is a bombshell because what it says first and foremost is this incredible theological truth that made you and I saved that is not our law that grants us understanding but rather it is his obedience to the law that grants us faith. It is his gift that he says the final is taken care of. Just tell me your name. That's the glory of the gospel. And everybody else like me who's a legalist at heart show up on the day of the final and you look at everybody else who didn't study, you look at your, your friends who just went down to Party Town USA the night before and then came back and they are in no way, shape, or form ready for this final and they go, oh, praise God I didn't have to, I didn't have to actually write anything coherent and they get the same grade as me? How dare you? I studied. I prepared. I did all this. They can't. They, they don't deserve the same grade I do. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Paul is saying it is no longer your life that, that grants you acceptability into Christ's kingdom. It is his life that he gives to others and says, this, this is the final. It's my name stamped on. it." Now, this is an incredible truth from Galatia, Galatian church. This is insane. This is bananas. This is, this is absolutely earth-shattering. And it led to a couple of interesting things. It led to Paul and Barnabas having sharp disputes with people. It led to the election of offices in which they had to go as delegates to somebody else and then come back with an understanding of what it is that they were to tell everybody else. They needed to have consistency. They needed to have understanding. This bombshell, as it were, this theological understanding forced people to have sharp conversations with each other. Now, here's my question for you, and here's... the the three parts we're going through is part 1 I want you to understand just the devastating bombshell that Galatians is that you are now bought into the family of God you are adopted not by law and how how controversial that is for those of us who are legalists at heart and then Paul jumps into this because of that bombshell they had disputes and they had hard conversations I want to talk about what that means how we get there, what relationship looks like. And then I want to end by saying this, here's what membership in a church, I want to extrapolate a couple of things from that and say, here's how membership in a church should look. I want to talk about sharp disputes. Can sharp disputes, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of weird. Uh, I love tension. Uh, tension is like a, a great melding. It's a great fiery furnace that creates more calcified, harder, steelier convictions. Now I understand not everybody likes tension. As a matter of fact, somebody at Arise and I were having a debate Uh, if fishing was a sport. It's not. Thank you, Noah. You, you get it. Uh, And I have no problem saying it's not a sport and then go back and forth and understand. One of my good friends and I, were good friends because we had a, a disagreement on a book. He loved the book, I hated the book, and we got in a sharp dispute about it. Sharp disputes can have the opportunity to have growth happen, but there's a danger with sharp disputes, isn't there? Sharp disputes can hurt, can bruise, can cut, and can't be ever remedied, can't they? You have to be very careful how you do sharp disputes. And Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute in such that they were willing to go through a process to rectify it. I want to talk about that process, and then I want to get to the points for us as membership. Here's what they did. They were able to have a sharp dispute because they probably trusted each other and they knew what they knew what they knew and they rested on the Bible and nothing else. That's the first point. Paul and Barnabas hear what, the, what these teachers, what these Pharisees are saying. And, and like I've used before, they, they look at the real McCoy. They, they have touched paper. They've touched the real money and say, that's wrong. Whatever you're preaching, I don't know why it's wrong quite yet. We're going to get down to it. But what you're saying is wrong. Uh, maybe today, this this erroneous teaching might be this. Uh, God loves all people at all times and he saves everybody. It's erroneous teaching. That, that's actually sharp dispute esque things. Uh, there's, there's multiple different facets of who God is. God isn't one God. There are multiple gods. That's sharp dispute understanding. This you are saved through faith alone. That's a sharp dispute understanding. That's that's DEFCOM red. That's we can't, we can't touch this with a 10-foot pole. Now, how did Paul and Barnabas know this? They knew the Bible. like They, they understood the gospel. They, they breathed the gospel. They loved the gospel. They embraced the gospel. They lived out the gospel so that when things came that were wrong, they could just be like, ah, something smells fishy. You know the easiest way to spot teaching that is incorrect? Know the correct teaching like the back of your hand. Know the correct teaching like the back of your hand. And every single time something that comes up that is not like that, you'll go, this is wrong, this is bad, this isn't good. This is, this, is, this is not in line with what Christ taught, what the apostles taught. That's the first thing. The second thing that Paul and Barnabas did was this. They were willing to go into deep waters. They were willing to go into deep waters. They were willing to go to places that were uncomfortable for them. Here's, here's what I mean. Uh, don't you do this a lot in your work? Uh, don't you do this a lot with people? When somebody says something erroneously, you have an opportunity. You say, well, I'm going to say something, or I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm just going to let it go. If I say something, we're going to have issues, we're going to have problems, they're going to come back at me, and then we're going to get awkward, and it's going to be really bad. Or I can just not say anything, and we'll just brush over, and we'll that'll be fine. That'll be it. That's like having a, a festering wound that you throw a Band-Aid on and say, don't worry, we'll get to this later. Without antiseptic, without antibiotics. Ask any mental health professional if that's a good way to deal with trauma. Ask anybody that's been painfully hurt if that's what you ought to do with, with any sort of physical ailment, with things that are deep and have devastation to them like the devastation of, no, 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 Gentiles, you, you, must, you must put yourself under the law. You must go back and get circumcised. You must go back and hold our festivals. You must go back and basically become Jewish before you become Christian. That's, that's a yoke that nobody should be put on. Nobody could do that. They were willing to go into deep waters. God's church, his membership, his covenant people should be willing to go into deep waters with one another. We shouldn't have the conversation as I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, as much as we want to. As much as we want to say, let's just gloss over that. We'll come back to that later. That might feel good in the moment, but it's a festering wound that has the opportunity to blow up in our faces. When the gospel needs to be declared, it needs to be declared lovingly, graciously but we must be willing to go to deep waters. Not that we have to. Are you willing? That's what Paul and Barnabas did. They went to Jerusalem Council. They spoke, and then they came back to the church and explained what they spoke about. And that's where I want to end us today. One understanding, it's a bombshell to understand that you are no longer accepted by a custodian. You aren't given grace based upon your historical information, your behavioral information, but rather on his historical, his behavioral, his good works. That's the bombshell, that you and I are Gentiles. We are gifted that. The second thing is this. Paul and Barnabas were leaders that were willing to go to deep waters and willing to have sharp disputes, intention to grow the kingdom, not themselves. To grow the kingdom, not themselves. And here's where I want to end. I want to end in Acts 15 with this understanding. As they go, as they explain, as they talk, three things become very apparent to me that are said in the Scripture Paul and Barnabas, as they talked to the Jerusalem Council, think of the Galatian church and have three things in mind. The Galatian church was identified, they were looked after, and they were celebrated. They were identified, they were looked after, and they were celebrated. Somebody was to ask me, uh, who, your church members, what do you do for them? Well, I need to know them, I need to identify them. Uh, I can't go up to somebody at your house and be like, hey, can I give you some spiritual advice? They'd be like, no, you can't. Well, you're, you're a gracious person, though. I appreciate that. I couldn't walk into another church and say, hey, 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 pastor, hey, elder, step aside. Let me feed your sheep. If I did that, I would be asked to leave. And I should be. See, the first thing, if I was to understand, I, I need to identify who it is that says, yes, I am part of this church. Yes, I am part of this body. Yes, I want to listen. I want to follow. The second thing is, they were looked after. And lastly, they were celebrated. They were identified. It says in Acts 15 that those were among them listening to Paul and Barnabas, and they were identified as the believers. It says they, they are the believers. They are those who listen, who know, who understand, who follow Paul and Barnabas' Barnabas's teaching. They came to faith. And they kept coming back to Paul over and over and over and saying, we won't listen to you. We won't understand you. We, please teach us more. Here's a very, very good way to understand. I, I, I think I had this rule. Uh, somebody told me this in seminary, and it's kept on all the way through. Do you know what makes a pastor a pastor? You, there are actions you do when you're a pastor. One of those is preaching the word of God. That is true. Here's what if I showed up one day and I just said, "I'm your pastor. Listen to me." How far is that relationship going to go? <laughs> Not very far. If I use authority, if I use title, if I use something that says, here, let me impose this upon you, you may do so lovingly and graciously. That might be your MO, and that's, many of you have done that. You said, I will allow you to pastor me, you, you. I say thank you to that. I'll allow you to preach at me, even though it's, it's not the best. Thank you, I appreciate that. Here's what makes a pastor a pastor, somebody who willingly says, I'll follow you. At that point, I have now entered into a pastoral role. Before that point, I'm not a pastor. I can't force that. I can't mandate that. I can't stranglehold you into that relationship. It's only those who say, I'm listening. I'll follow. Tell me. That's it. And that's what the believers did. They were there. They were listening to Paul. They were listening to Barnabas. Here's how I know somebody who's a member of, of Arise, who, who wants me to pastor them. They're here. I know them by name. And they heed my, the, the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd. How do I know you're in Christ? This is, very, this is a very easy one for me. You follow the shepherd's voice. You don't just check a box on some study, on some survey. You don't identify. You don't say, yes, here I am. I'm a Christian. Well, my family was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. Well, we grew up in church, so I'm, I'm of course, a Christian. No. How do I identify as a Christian? You hear Christ's voice, and you follow him. In Acts, those who were part of the church were identified as the believers. And they were known. They were counted. They were heard. They were seen. I guarantee you, you went up to Paul and Barnabas at the time and said, who are those in which you're entrusted to? They could tell you who it was. Do you know why? Because they saw them regularly. They taught to them. They had questions. They had hard conversations. The people came back to them. Those who don't want to be pastored, don't talk. Those who don't want to follow, don't listen. Those who don't want the shepherd Christ to speak to them, who, who don't hear his words, who don't want to hear his words, won't read his word, won't heed his advice, won't submit to him won't say, Christ, you are more glorious than anything I want. And I identify myself. How do I identify myself? I identify myself by alignment with you. That's how. No flag, no sign, no symbol, no tattoo, no business card can ever identify you with Christ. The only thing that identifies you with Christ is his death where he adopts you. And how do you show that you've been adopted by him? You follow him. That's it. Now it seems overly simplistic and yet that's the truth. Do you have to be baptized to be a believer? Nope. Do, do you have to do you have to be uh, uh, this is this is debates from hundreds of 100 years war blood has been spilled over this literally. Do you have to be fully submerged to be baptized? Or do you, is a sprinkling okay? Do, do you have to get baptized once you become to faith if you were baptized as in an infant? Or does that baptism, if you were part of the Catholic church and came, and became a Christian, do you have to get baptized again? Or does that baptism count? War, blood spilled over this. And at the end of the day, the, the question is, do you know Christ's voice and do you follow him? How do I know? His word tells us what you submit to. They were identified. Number two, they were looked after. They were identified and they were looked after. It says this when the teachers came down and started teaching a gospel contrary to what Christ had taught, Paul and Barnabas knew right away and they said, Don't you, don't you, don't you talk that filth in here. Don't you bring that in here. Don't you preach that in here. They were looked after. They were cared for. Just like sheep, just like children. Now, the Bible uses all the time this analogy of sheep. Do you have many of you have. I have not my most most of my life guys been around farm animals a lot they are gross things they are dirty they are filthy they smell they stink they take a lot of time a lot of energy a lot of a lot of things need to happen through that that's what we're called we're called a farm animal a shepherding animal a sheep we need tended to we need cared for We leave the pen, and we go off to high mountains, and we need brought back. We don't know where to eat food, and we need told where to go to eat good food. We don't know water supplies. We need to be shown where that is. We need to be looked after. Wolves will come to try to devour us, and the shepherd needs to protect his sheep. You know the second thing a church member is? First of all, a church member is identified. They are known. They are heard. They follow Christ and his word and what he's doing in the church. The second thing is this. They're cared for. If you're a member at a rise, the thing that you are guaranteed is to be cared for, is to prayerfully be preached the gospel every single Sunday, to be given counsel that is not opinion-based, but is Christ-based, to be challenged, to be pushed, to be shown, here's the good food, here's the good grass, eat this, it's so good, it's so great. The church is not for you to come spectate. The church is not for you to come watch. The church is for you to be cared for. You are cared for. You are prayed for. You are known by the elders, by consistory, by the pastors. And you should be because that's exactly what a church member is. You know what's really hard to do to somebody who doesn't want care? Give them medical attention. Have you ever seen anybody refuse medical attention? It's ugly. Or how about this, a drowning victim. Where they're fighting and they're wailing and they don't want help with it is a dangerous situation do you know how hard it is to tell somebody else hey you have an ugly ugly illness inside of you i need to cut you open and i need i need it removed and somebody who's unwilling to go under and to 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 go down have an anesthetist come in and 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 put them under so that they may have surgery do you know how difficult that is if i just walked up to you with a scalpel and said i need to cut you open and you didn't want me to cut you open it's never going to work. But yet, somebody who knows, I trust you. I, I believe what you're doing is good. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. It's going to cut. But I, I'm going to willingly follow and be a sheep, be a child, to be cared for, to be shown the good way. The second thing a church member is done is they are cared for. They are looked after, after they are known. They are sheep. They're willing to have hard and difficult conversations with leaders and themselves because they know, ultimately, you care for me more than you care about yourself. When you make a, the NBA is happening right now, playoffs are going on. When you see LeBron James running down the floor and you are standing right in front of the hoop and he is going to slam dunk on your face and you are gonna be on all sports news broadcasts being shown to be a fool. It's called a business decision. And what you do is you, you stand aside and you just let him do a monster jam right in front of you. And you go out of the frame. We make business decisions all the time when it comes to difficult conversations because we say, I don't want to deal with the fallout. I don't want to be embarrassed. Let me just step to the side. That's not caring. That's not loving. That's not helping other people. What Paul and Barnabas did is they said, I'm willing to, I'm willing to look like a fool if it helps you. I'm willing to get in sharp disputes with these other teachers if it helps you, if it protects you, if it feeds you. I'm willing to do that. Church, are you somebody, are you a member who's willing to go there because you know ultimately it's better to have a tense conversation if it helps somebody and it costs me rather than say, I don't want, to be, I, I don't want it to cost anything. I don't want to touch it. They are cared for by Paul and Barnabas. Lastly, they are celebrated. When the apostles heard the good news from Paul and Barnabas, you know the first thing they did? They said, we have all these Gentiles. They're coming to faith. Did they say, well, now, hold on a second. Are they giving 10%? Now, hold on a second. Do they know the first five questions of the catechism? Now, hold on a second. Have they been part of your church for six months on a regular basis for 85% of the time? What did they say? Praise God. People are coming to faith. People are being saved. People are coming out of death and despair in their own way and their own understanding. And what what did Paul and Barnabas do? They They celebrated, and they celebrated with the apostles. They spoke good news. They said, look what's happening. Look what's going on. How much of the time do you get caught up in just the most worthless conversations, and you're not celebrating what God is doing? You're not focused on the good. You're seeing the tree instead of seeing the forest. What Paul and Barnabas did and what the apostles did is they looked and they said, people are coming to faith. That's all we should be concerned about. That's all we should be caring about. Look at the life that is there where death reigned before. Church, do you know how celebrated you are? What are you celebrated with? Your gifts are celebrated. With these teams we're doing, we want a majority of the work to be done by the members of our eyes. Bring to me the prayers, the liturgy, the say, I want to partake. I want to participate. God has gifted me in this way. Fantastic. Let's use that gift because you're celebrated. You, church, are loved. And just like when we speak of you, we don't speak, oh, yeah, that sheep over there. Well, some of you I say this about. Oh, yeah, that's so and so. Gosh, Andrew Johnson is just the worst. He's just so difficult to speak to. That's a lie. He's not. You were spoken about in kind, true words. Do you know what happens in our mind? We think other people are having hard conversations with us and we don't want to go near them because ultimately we think you aren't going to celebrate me, you don't love me, you don't know me, you don't want me. Do you know how you know somebody loves you? They tell you hard things. What is Proverbs? Beware of the flatterer. Don't trust people that say nice things to you all the time. Don't trust them. Trust people who are willing to say, I love you enough to not let you stay where you're at. I love you enough to challenge you and celebrate you in that challenge and know you in that challenge and praise God that I had to say to you, you are dead and dying and going to hell if you don't come to faith in him because his good works are better than your good works. You know how hard that is to tell somebody? You know how easy it is to say, well, you're a good person. I think you're going to heaven. Okay, good. Dodge that bullet how hard it is to say to somebody? Uh, When I was in student ministries, I had a little bit, well, I was stupid. Uh, But here's what I would say to parents all the time. It's a true statement. I wouldn't say it directly to parents anymore. So I get to say it now, looking back on it retroactively. Parents would come to me and say, hey, you need to speak to my child. You need to tell my child. You need to get them in a church, and you need to correct them and change them. And I would look at them and say, your child has every right to go to hell. I know, I know, it was bad. It's true. Your child has every right to go to hell. Nothing I can do to can fix that. Only his good work can fix that. I will celebrate the miracle that is your child coming to faith. And I will celebrate it with all my gusto. I will sing to that. I will praise Jesus for that. I will praise Jesus for your faithfulness in that. You know how often we don't want to have hard conversations because we don't think it'll celebrate anything. We don't think it'll be good. Memberships, people in membership are identified, they are known, they are cared for, they are looked after, and lastly, they are celebrated. And how can you celebrate somebody? What's the only way you can celebrate somebody? Is if things progress, if things change, if death was once there, if, if a prognosis came back and said, I am ill, and then you get a clean bill of health, you say, oh, praise God, this is good, this is great. Your gifts are celebrated, church. You are known, you are seen. Here's where I want to end, and here's what I think Paul and Barnabas did when they went back to Galatia, and they went back to the church because we have letters of it. They then said this, Timothy, Titus, church leaders, raise up elders, start churches, start preaching, do the good work. Do you know what Paul did? He went, he started a church, he's like, okay, great, see ya. have fun. Like, no, 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 you, you need to do this for us. You, he said, you're the church. You're known, you're cared for, and you're celebrated. You've been gifted. You can do this. I don't have to do this for you. I can challenge you. I could test you. I could push you. You got this, Church. If you're a member of Arise, the same things are true. You are known. You identify. You said yes. I want to follow Christ's word and the word of Arise. Fantastic. Two. You say, can you care for me? Can you follow me? Can you help correct me? Can you give me good food? Yes, prayerfully. And then lastly, are you celebrated? Do you use your gifts to celebrate? What Christ has done in your life. Because church gatherings, the mission of Christ is not a passive spectator sport. If you think church is about coming and listening and being fed and then leaving and going back and feeling good, you've missed the point of church, you've missed the point of covenant people. How to people work together to say, we are all in this together to progress towards something better, to something good, and let's all celebrate that as one. So, church, you are loved. You are cared for. You are looked after. We pray for you. We know you. And it's a great thing that God did so. Because at the end of the day, it is far better to see you enact your gifts as those called by God, adopted into his family, who are doing good work we go, yes, see, that's it. Maybe for some of you, that is just simply this. You were giving zero dollars before and you gave one dollar today. You know, that's that's cause for celebration. That's an inch in the kingdom. Maybe you weren't caring at all about speaking faith to your friends and maybe you just asked your friend what they think of spirituality or God. That's a step. Maybe you asked somebody how you can pray for them. That's another step, which hopefully you did today. Those are all celebratory actions. Church, let's celebrate what God has done in your life and what you're doing for others because of his good grace. Let's pray. Father, may we be those who are known as your sheep, who follow your word, who know your word, and who count it as members. We love what you've given us. May we be faithful to that call son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.